This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's get things going on a Thursday edition of Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Lots to get to on the program this Thursday. Hockey back on your televisions and back on your radios tonight. The Eastern Conference Finals kick off with the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes. So two days deprived of NHL playoff hockey is finished. We're back at it tonight with playoff action. Although you could have got your fix last night if you were watching the Calgary Wranglers and the Coachella Valley Firebirds in game four of their Calder Cup playoff race. Stock, or Calgary, excuse me, tying that series up at two games apiece heading into game five on Friday in Coachella Valley. Big shout-out from Flames prospect Dustin Wolf in that one. We'll chat about the Wranglers a little bit later on today. We'll also check in with our uh, Thursday regular here, Adnan Verk, MLB Network, Cinephile Podcast. He'll join us a little bit later on in hour two, but uh, very excited to kick the program off this afternoon by heading down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, chat things, all, chatting all things Florida Panthers. Head of a massive game tonight as they kick off the Eastern Conference Final. Against the Carolina Hurricanes, we welcome in former NHLer and now the color voice on the radio for the Florida Panthers, Bill Lindsay, joins us this afternoon. Bill, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? Yeah, no problem. Everything's good. How's everything in Calgary? We're doing great, sir. And uh, look, it's been a long time since the Florida Panthers uh, found themselves in an Eastern Conference final. A uh, matter of fact, I'm speaking to a gentleman who was on that team in 1996 when uh, when the Florida Panthers were in an Eastern Conference final. What's the excitement like? Uh, around Florida around this time of year as they get back to the Eastern Conference final, Bill? It's been a minute since we've been here. It's really, <laughs> uh, it's captured uh, the vibe down here in South Florida. The excitement is coming back. I haven't seen anything like it since the early 90s when I was involved with the team. We had a lot of years where we just weren't able to help ourselves, couldn't get in the playoffs, but maybe once every six years when we did get in, it was an early ex- exit. Now you've been able to string four years together in a row in the playoffs. So you've been able to build your fan base back up, the trust into your fan base. And slowly it's been able to come back. You have the President's Trophy last year, get a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz, disappointing second-round exit. Then kind of out of nowhere this year, you squeak into the playoffs and everyone has fallen in love with this team. Just the way that they play, the way that they grind uh, a lot of personalities led by Matthew Kachuk. You guys are familiar with Matthew Kachuk and how vocal and outspoken he can be, not only with the team, but with the media. So there's a lot to, to hang their hats on down here in South Florida. They've gravitated to this team and the rink has been full and there is a lot of talk on sports talk radio down here, which doesn't happen a lot. And we're on the news papers everywhere you look. There's a lot of Panther hockey. You mentioned that President's Trophy last year, Bill, and obviously there's different parts of this team than it was that team. But I'm curious from your perspective as a former player, how much do you think uh, a loss like last year's was after the team lost that 
you know, early in the playoffs, but was a President's Trophy winner. How much do you think that might have helped them this time around in the postseason, knowing what to expect? It helps. Every time you fail at something, you you should improve. Uh, that's the goal. Is sometimes you have disappointment and a failure, and that's that's pretty much life summed up. And you try to learn from those things that happen in in you and make you a better person or better hockey player, whatever. So you go through that experience last year and you realize how tough it is, no matter how good you are in the regular season, that it's going to be a different animal. And players like Barkoff and Ekblad that have been here a while, it's been a learning curve for for them. But you make some adjustments to the team in the off season and you kind of change your style from a run and gun team to now you're a heavy four checking team that gets after, after the opponent, the goaltending has been, much better this year with Sergei Bobrovsky since he's taken over from Alex Ryan. So anytime you, you go through something like you did last year and uh, don't get it, uh, I, I benefits everyone in that dressing room that was here and part of it. And you can see that they've made some adjustments and are playing better hockey at this time of year. How many of those adjustments, Bill, would you credit to uh, new head coach Paul Maurice and what he's brought to the team this year? A lot of it. He's changed the style from – a speed game that was just built off transition that can get shut down into the playoffs. It was high octane, high flying last year, but you can see when you get into these playoffs, especially with the four teams left standing, it's pretty much all about grit and work ethic. All these teams left have a real heavy four check that can get after you just roll lines. And Paul Maurice said, we have to play playoff hockey during the regular season. Didn't look like we were going to get into the playoffs almost all year Mm -hmm. until 70, 72 hours left in the season, we were able to, to find out that we were going to play in the playoffs. But you could see the last 20 games, and once this team got healthy, that they were able to get in. He wants his team to hang on to the puck, work the plays low to high. The Panthers are the best rebound team in the NHL. That was not the case last year. It's get it back to the point, get traffic in front. Uh, so that is, it, it's hard on, we make, we make the other team make a lot of mistakes just by be, being persistent on the puck. And that's what's really changed from last year. That is that they get after the puck and create the turnovers, get to the front of the net. They were second in the NHL in defensemen scoring, going against a, a ten, team that was first in Carolina. But they get a lot of production from their defense. So, so Paul Maurice deserves a lot of credit with the way that he built this team and he was able to get them into the playoffs, and I tell you what, once he did get them there, they were prepared and ready for the action that was the NHL playoffs. So round two, a matchup against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They, they only need five games to dispatch one of the top teams in the NHL's regular season. What went so right for Florida in that series, Bill, in your mind, that saw them get past Toronto in five? I just start out in game number one after you have that emotional seven-game series against Boston. You come into game number one, worried about some sort of drop-off. And Matthew Kachuk and Sam Bennett and their line dominated the first period of game one to set the tone. And those guys, Matthew Kachuk and Sam Bennett, if you have a different color jersey on, they just don't like you immediately. It doesn't matter. And they they set the tone. Toronto was not ready in game one. Marner was invisible. And that was a chance for Toronto to get off to a good start. And that's where the Panthers were able to, to grasp that series. Game number two was the game that Toronto should have had. They had a two to nothing lead, two to one after the first period, and the Panthers are running on fumes at this time. And they had two egregious turnovers at the start of the second period. 
that led to Panther goals. And then after that, it was just hang on for dear life. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, which he's done a number of times, which has been key. Sergei Bobrovsky stole the show, and you know, it was a goaltending win. But that's that's to me where the, the series swung, because the Leafs, they, they blew that, because the Panthers had nothing left in the tank. If they were down midway through the third, second period, they're not coming back into that game. But it's two terrible turnovers. Panthers and then just rely on their goaltender. And after that, it was close, hard-fought hockey the rest of the way. But tough to dig out a hole. The Panthers really shut down Marner and Matthews for the most part, took them out of the game, didn't, didn't notice them a lot. So this hard-checking style with bolstered by some incredible goaltending at times when you need it most has been the recipe for success. You've mentioned him a couple of times now, and I have to ask you, Bill, just your impression of Matthew Kachuk and what he's brought to this Florida organization you mentioned. We know him well here in Calgary. We know the kind of attitude and I guess just the persona that he brings with him and for him to translate onto the ice and to translate that, it feels like it's been a pretty seamless fit for him with this Panthers organization. It, he, he's in, he's enjoying every, every moment of it. And he's brought swagger to this team. And I wouldn't call it cockiness because cockiness is when you're just kind of, a bragger and don't have nothing to back it up, but he mm-hmm. has a self-confidence and a belief in himself uh, that goes a long way. And uh, so he does, he does sort of walk with a little strut in, in his stride, but he backs it up on the ice. And the best way to describe him is he's got a fourth line mentality with first line skills. It's he plays like he's on the edge of just being cut out of this league. Uh, he's got all this, <laughs> talent to, to go with it and you talk, you mentioned the word like bringing everyone into the fight he drags just the way that he plays it's impossible not for everyone to kind of follow along in that footsteps and Matthew Kachuk if he's not scoring goals or getting assists he's still having huge impacts on games he's in the middle of all the scrums to me that uh, we don't that's why he's a, nom- a finalist for the Hart Trophy what, we, what he did during the regular season, we don't get in the playoffs without him. And then once we've gotten into these playoffs, he's been able to elevate his game even higher. It's it's funny because I watch Matthew Kachuk play, and I can tell you during the regular season of all the goals he scored, at the top of, top of my head, I can maybe remember two that were special. The other 39 or 38 were just rebounds, tips, uh, <laughs> shots, uh, nondescript goals, but... When you look at the score sheet at the end of the game, he's got a goal and two assists and six hits. He is just he impacts the game in so many different ways, even beyond the score sheet, and that's what's helped this group. Uh, Billy, another guy that you've mentioned here as we've chatted early on has been Sergei Bobrovsky, and I think it's probably fair to say it's been an up and down tenure since he signed that big deal with Florida a couple seasons ago. But he really feels like he's coming to his own and you know, been that positive backstop for them in the playoffs here. It's his fourth playoff now as a member of the Florida Panthers. Would you say that he's playing his best hockey uh, since he became a member of the Panthers? Yes, he's dialed in and looks like the two-time Vesna Trophy winner. Funny how NHL playoffs work. He's had, just as you mentioned, three very mediocre seasons in mm-hmm. a Panther uniform. He could play two months of good hockey, and if the Panthers did win a Stanley Cup, $70 million contract automatically becomes worth it. That's how important the playoffs, if you play good for two months, 
that that contract becomes validated. So Sergei Bobrovsky, when you watch this team, you got to give credit to the the way they play in front of them. What was a big problem early in the season was two on ones, three on twos, odd man rushes against. They've cleaned that up. It's now you've got to work for your goals, and when Sergei Bobrovsky seeing pucks. It's it's much better. So the the Panthers have really cleaned up the the neutral zone. You watch the game tonight. Both these teams will, in my opinion, struggle to create anything off off the rush. And you get it down low where Sergey Bobrovsky is starting to really battle and fight through traffic. But he knows where the shots are coming from, and the team in front of him has gotten more consistent and help help around his goaltender. So when Sergey Bobrovsky gets dialed in like this. And the team's playing better in front of them. It's it's just a really lethal combination, and that's why Sergey Bobrovsky, even Alex Line, what he did, what he did down the stretch, was a large part of what the Panthers were able to do with their change in philosophy defensively. So Sergey Bobrovsky does deserve a lot of credit, but also the way the teams played in front of them goes a long way to helping their goaltenders. Uh, Bill Lindsay along with us, former NHLer, now the radio voice of the Florida Panthers, helping us get set for the Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes tonight, game one of the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, a couple of individuals I have to ask you about because there's so many intriguing stories with this Panthers team, I find, you know, just two series into the playoffs here, Bill. One of them I have to ask you about is Brandon Montour, um, who exploded on the scene offensively during the regular season, continued it, had an unbelievable series against Boston, finding all of these clutch goals. I thought he was tremendous against Toronto defensively against some of their top stars. Where does this come from, from Brandon Montour? Cause he's not a young guy anymore, but he certainly seems like he found a way to take an extra step with Florida this year. He has, he went from 17 and a half minutes to 24 and a half minutes. So the ice has helped. He got the keys to the car on the power play to quarterback the power play. And he's got – that's where a lot of the confidence swing came from, just the ice time. Paul Maurice gave the trust. And you can almost draw a direct parallel to Josh Morrissey and Brandon Montour, guys that their season high was around – their career high was around that 35, 37-point mark. All of a sudden, they jump in the 70-point the plateau. Uh, so huge jumps, comes with the ice time. He's a rover, and he mentioned as much. He says, I'm a rover now. I just go wherever I want. And a large part of that, the underrated player on this team is Mark Stahl. He's a veteran that's been around a long time, that's played with Brandon Montour all year. And Montour can go wherever he wants on the ice. He's got unbelievable skating ability, but Stahl knows where to be when Montour is just kind of going all over the place. He reads and reacts defensively really well and cleans up for a lot of Montour's mistakes if he gets (laughs) caught up in play. So it's been a really dynamic pairing to to watch how they kind of feed off each other. But Montour is part forward and part defenseman this year, and that's the way that he's looked at it. And Paul Marie said, go for it. Uh, You've got the green light, and he's taken that green light, and that's why he's put up the numbers he has. It's just you get the power play time, you get the added ice time, you get the trust from the coach, and all of a sudden your potential is unlocked. Uh, it feels like a similar story for the next guy I'm going to ask you about. You were on NHL Network earlier today, Bill, talking about Carter Verhage and uh, a guy that uh, currently holds a Panthers record with yourself uh, for series clinching goals in the postseason. Both of you 
uh, with three in your time as a Florida Panther. Uh, Carter, it's hard to believe, is just in his fourth NHL season. Um, and what a step forward he's taken now. And it feels like a lot of those things you just mentioned to us with Brandon Montour, getting that opportunity, earning the coach's trust, has let him take that next step forward in his career. It has. Uh, Carter Verhage, big scorer in junior hockey, uh, led the American Hockey League one year in scoring, gets a chance in Tampa Bay as a fourth-line guy, wins a Stanley Cup. But we signed him. And this is where Bill Zito, our GM, did a lot of work. We signed him purely on analytics. They went into the analytics, and it showed that he wins a lot of puck battles, creates a lot of opportunities, a lot of scoring chances. And if he was given a top six role in the NHL, that he would be able to thrive. And that's what they felt after studying the analytics on Verhege is that what he, some guys can do at a junior in the American Hockey League, not in the NHL. They believed in what they saw that given a top six role, Verhage could do the stuff that he did in junior hockey and the American Hockey League at the NHL level. And, and, th- and that's been the case. The speed is out of this world. He competes hard on the pucks. And he scores most of his goals at even strength. He, he barely, first two years, he, he didn't get on the power play. And this year, he had the 40-plus goals, and he's still on the second power play unit. <laughs> he still can't find his way onto the first power play unit. So it's it's a credit to, to his work ethic and his determination. He, but he's got, uh, you watch him shoot the puck, the release is quick, it's accurate, and he's got speed to to burn. So it was a really good decision just by us, just figuring a guy that there was no room for him in Tampa Bay. We, we had a spot for him in the top six, and he came here and proved everyone right that he's a top six forward in the NHL. I uh, would love to ask you your thoughts on the opposition heading into this series, Bill. What do you see when you see uh, this Carolina Hurricanes team that uh, that's coming in against the Panthers? This is going to be the best defensive group that we've seen, Not especially the, the defensemen in Carolina. To me, well-rounded might be the best defensive group in the NHL, even up front with that they get sticks on lanes and are able to they, the neutral zone that's kind of looking in the mirror when you watch these both teams play. The, the area to watch out for is going to be the special teams with this penalty-killing group of Carolina that can just shut down other power plays that are running at 90%. And when you watch them kill penalties, they're so aggressive. Can the Panthers create some power play goals of their own? And when the Panthers, they gave up 11 power play goals in that first series against Boston. They cleaned it up against Toronto somewhat. When they have the chance, can can their penalty kill rise up to the the occasion? Five on five, it's, it's just going to be a grind. 80 to 90% of this series is either going to be played tied or within one goal. So to me, special teams uh, could be a big separator in this, this series. It's, it's that close between these two teams. And when you watch Carolina or the Panthers, they're both perfect when scoring first. Whoever has a lead in this series is going to be able to dictate the way they want to play with their style. If you fall behind, especially if you get behind a couple of goals, you're going to have to change your philosophy. You're going to have to kind of come out of your shell and maybe change it up and open it up. And if you do that against the way these two teams defend, you could be in trouble. So to me, 
five on five, it's pretty much a wash. Special teams will be the difference maker at some point and and some games uh, throughout the throughout the course of this and playing with leads. Really pay attention to the team that scores first and is able to to maintain leads or play with leads in this series. They will they will have the advantage through, advantage throughout. Uh, Bill, obviously brought you on today because of your experience in your time in Florida and obviously your current role as the uh, the radio color voice there as well. But you have a Calgary connection. You spent uh, over a season and a half as a member of the Calgary Flames early 1999 into the 2000 season. Uh, a young Jerome Ginla is part of your uh, team there in Calgary. What do you remember about your time uh, as a member of the Calgary Flames here in the city, Bill? Yeah, it was uh, it was after times in uh... I, I enjoyed my time in Florida, but I grew up in Fernie, British Columbia, just across the border. So there was nowhere else in the NHL that I could play that was closer than to home than Calgary. So to come back home and be around where I could have a lot of family and friends at the game, it was, it was special for myself uh, to be in that city. And it was the first time I played in Quebec a little bit at the start of my career, but not a ton, but I was established and to be in a hockey market, after coming to me, that 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 was unique. Uh, so I really enjoyed enjoyed my time there. I, I love the city. Me and my wife both love the city city of Calgary. So it was a it was a neat experience to to come back home and play in a real hockey market and be close to where I grew up. That's tremendous, Bill. Really do appreciate the time. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us up here in Calgary today. Enjoy the game. Best luck to your Panthers during this series. We'll chat with you again sometime soon. Hey. I appreciate it very much, guys. All the best. Take care. Bill Lindsay joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Former NHLer, now the color voice of the of the Florida Panthers, uh, getting set for their battle against the Carolina Hurricanes tonight in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Final. Bill, yes, a longtime member of the Florida Panthers, but a member of the Calgary Flames uh, for just over a season and a half. I think it wound up being 132 uh, games as a member of the Flames and some great memories there with young Jerome McGinley at 22 and 23. Valerie Burry uh, put up a 75-point season in Bill's full season here and even that 56-game stint uh, for a young Martin St. Louis uh, was played while Bill Lindsay was a member of the Calgary Flames. So uh, great to hear from Bill. Really appreciate him joining us uh, on a game day. Should be a great one. Hurricanes and Panthers, of course. You can watch that game across the Sportsnet television network or you can listen to it right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan with faceoff coming just after 6 o'clock. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll hear from our NHL insider, Frank Saravelli, around the corner. More on the Flames GM search and more on a timeline that uh, seems to indicate a decision coming sooner than later from the Calgary Flames. We'll talk about that next here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We talked on Wednesday's program about the terminology changing around the Calgary Flames when it comes to their GM search. Elliot Friedman phrasing it as Phase 2. Pierre Lebrun suggesting that it's getting late in the process for the Calgary Flames. Eric Francis, our own from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, saying with the guys, Russick and Rose, on the big show earlier this week that you could see an announcement coming sometime next week. That wouldn't surprise him. 
everything seems to be condensing that the process is perhaps coming to an end for the Calgary Flames. And it's been a long talked about conversation here. Obviously, it's a massive hire. I've said it before. I think it's one of the biggest hires in Calgary Flames history. What happens with this core, current core group, you know, circled around Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, Nazem Kadri, and I use those names specifically because those are the ones tied to the Flames long-term going forward. Add in what this GM needs to figure out with the massive importance of next year's UFA course and uh, class and Lindholms, the Backlands, Hannafins, all that group that, you know, is going to need a contract extension. We could see after a, a last summer's massive change of player personnel, it feels as though we could be on the verge of another one for the Calgary Flames. What does that look like? Does it, you know, truly mean a, a step back for this team? Do they try to find a way to being competitive in all of it? These are the questions that we continue to wonder and add into that. I think a very important head coaching hire for this GM is going to try to break a streak. As much as I appreciate what Brad, I think Brad Living's tenure should be looked at as a positive one for the Calgary Flames. He was never able to figure out, and, and look, some of it was out of his control, but he was never able to figure out the formula of a head coach that was going to be here for the long term. It didn't work with Glenn Gollitson. It didn't work with Jeff Ward. It didn't work with Bill Peters. That was Bill Peters' fault, not Brad's. But it still didn't work. Daryl Sutter worked for a year and a bit, but overall didn't last any significantly longer than any of those other coaches that I named. Can this GM find a long-term head coach for this group and break this cycle of every two to three seasons bringing somebody else in to try to change the message. Those are all questions that need to be asked. Interesting enough, as I talked to you on this Thursday, uh, NHL, another NHL insider, Kevin Weeks, ESPN, uh, NHL Network as well, has been throwing out some coaching news over the last couple of days. And just this afternoon, uh, has tweeted out, sources telling me that two-time AHL coach of the year and current Wranglers head coach Mitch Love getting plenty of NHL interest. Have to wonder if he's in the top mix as next head coach of the Calgary Flames. So now the conversation for Mitch Love has shifted from, oh, could be an interesting prospect for the Calgary Flames to all of a sudden here's a guy that's maybe getting a look around the league and if you're the Calgary Flames are you it's an asset right it's it's no different it's different I should say but in the same sense it's it's like a player right in your organization do you want to let a player go have success do you want to have a coach slip through your fingers that could be your potential next head coach. And maybe that's part of this for the Calgary Flames is that you don't know the, the Calder Cup playoffs for the Calgary Wranglers could end as soon as Friday. 
when they head into game five of their best of five series with Coachella Valley. And Mitch Love's name will come up, no doubt, I think, for jobs around the organizations in the NHL, but also for the one here in Calgary. And kind of feel like you need to take that GM step before you get into the head coaching business. That was sort of the main point of moving out Daryl Sutter was that this next GM could come in without any sort of handcuffs on them uh, as far as a coach goes. Do things get pushed up a bit now that uh, we're hearing some, you know, massive, or not really massive, but some news around the NHL from prominent insiders that there are other teams that might have a look at Mitch Love. Does that move the timeline up for the Calgary Flames? Maybe. Uh, but as far as that GM search goes, uh, the latest from Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff with Russick and Rose on the big show earlier today. That's where they kicked off their conversation. Uh, some coaching candidates as well. Uh, but notice at the start what we talked about off the beginning of this segment, uh, the timeline for just about everybody following this GM search seems to point towards a decision within the next week. That's something that Frank Saravalli uh, agreed with in his chat with Russick and Rose earlier today. Wanted to ask you uh, about the uh, the GM search. Um, obviously, we want to ask you about names, but time frame wise, what are you hearing? What are you feeling? When are we going to get this news that they have a new general manager? Because tick, tick, tick here, stuff's about to happen here in the offseason. <laughs> it, well, it, it's funny you said that about next week's show because, like, between now and the next seven days, I, I would not be surprised if <laughs> the Calgary Flames have a new general manager. Like, I think things are heating up. My understanding is they made it through the first round of interviews. Um, most of them, except for the internal candidates, were conducted uh, via Zoom. And now they're at the process or point where they're they're bringing people in for the next round. I don't know how many, I, I don't know the complete list of names, but my understanding is that they'd like to get moving. And I think June one is a sort of drop dead date uh, to have someone in place. I think in an ideal world, they would have someone in place next week. Um, we heard the name Dave Nonis been uh, thrown around as a potential candidate. How serious do you think that is? Uh, I have not heard Dave Nonis's name. I don't. Do you know where the report came from? Uh, Elliot. 32, Elliot Friedman. 32 thoughts yesterday. Okay. Uh, I, I did not hear that. Uh, I think the Flames have talked to a significant number of people to this point. And I think it was, I was on with Pat Steinberg on Tuesday, and he said somewhere between 25 and 40, and I almost fell off my chair. What? That's why I, I made a joke yesterday. Uh, apparently, it wasn't that funny. I, I said something about the Ducks coaching search, and I said it's amazing how under the radar it's flown because I believe Pat Verbeek has spoken to roughly 468 potential candidates, and everyone was like, what? Yeah. They're like, guys, like, come on. Yeah. He doesn't even have 468 people in his phone book. Right. Like people, uh, it's a very exact number for you to just throw out too. It must have thrown well, a lot of people off, right? It's supposed to be fun because Pat Verbeek <laughs> fancies himself as a as a steel vault of information getting out. So yeah. I just just enjoy yourself. Uh, better knows in the history of the NHL, Pat Verbeek or Tim Hunter? Ooh, 
Mike Ricci, too. He's in that mix. Tim Hunter has the worst nose I've ever seen. Okay. Oh. Adam Foot too. He's got a. He's got. He's got some character on his face. Too. And um, I trust me. I've seen some hook nose on some women here in Philadelphia. So oh boy. Um, oh boy. It, uh, that whatever they got going on there is something else. <laughs> yep. Oh boy. Um, Mark Bergevin, just from the uh, the talk show fodder perspective and having fun. Would Mark Bergevin be really fun here in Calgary, based on just the uncertainty and the wildness of some of his moves? Fun to cover, maybe fun team to watch. Yeah. Um, had his teams had a few deep playoff runs that weren't able to get over the hump. Um, they probably should have won the cup in fourteen if Chris Kreider doesn't accidentally on purpose run into Carey Price. But uh, anyway, the old, the old accidental on purpose. Yeah, that's that's what it totally was in that Eastern I, Conference final. But whatever. I, I'm fascinated to see what the like the general reaction is to Mark Bergevin because I think a lot of people have at least you know even in hockey circles sort of have arrived at the point of he had a really long run in in Montreal that it, it felt like they had multiple different cycles of of competitiveness and I can't tell if that's good or bad does he have the real creative engine and energy to to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I'm fascinated to see the reaction to that, but you know what? His name has now popped up twice. I believe he was very active in the mix in Pittsburgh. I, mm. I don't get the sense he's still in, but um, the fact that he's, you know, out there and, and talking to teams would lead you to believe that at some point, someone's going to give him a shot again. Uh, we are one week away from Bizarro Big Show in that time frame. Who do you think the favorite is right now to be the next GM? I would say uh, I don't I don't know that there's a front runner, but I would say that if I were gambling and you were to give me a list of names and I do like to gamble, mm-hmm. I would say my money would be on Craig Conroy. Okay. I think they have the best candidate right in their own front office. I wonder what the I odds think, would be, like a plus three hundred? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like a plus two fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good front But how does that play across the league too, Frank, when a guy who's paid his dues, played in the league, did all the right moves, finally gets his gets his shot? Like that uh, that that's that's good vibes around the league too. No, not that that matters to people in Calgary, but it does matter in, in the, the circles around the NHL, does it not? Yeah, I think everyone looks at him kind of universally and says that's someone that's qualified to take the next step. Hmm. And you know, it, it's funny you said that because I I just as you go through the list of pros and cons, like I, I really not to you know, say cons, the, the Conroy's, uh, you, you know, you, I can't come bad. up with, with a, a negative, like maybe the only negative is that he hasn't done it before, mm. but at some point, everyone, Brad tree living, hadn't done it before he got to Calgary. Yeah. But if you touch every facet of the organization, and I also think, for the continuity factor of what the flames are trying to pull off, which is getting back into the playoffs next spring, you know, you want as little disruption as possible because there was a ton last summer with the roster and look how it played out. Now you've got an all important coaching hire. You've got a couple little roster tweaks to make. But you want someone that really understands your team the way that it was built. He was hands-on in that process and had a voice. And you want someone that understands your market. Yeah. 
he's a tried and true Calgary flame. Like he's been there, done it. And he spent all of his post playing career living there. The, the only, I don't even know if it's a negative, but I know that uh, Don Maloney said in his newser when uh tree and they mutually parted ways with tree was they want to quote a fresh set of eyes. Is that maybe the only negative that he wouldn't be a fresh set of eyes? So why wouldn't he be? How do we know that him and, okay, and Brad Trulli, that's I'm fair. assuming that they, mm. they were in agreement more than they weren't, but yeah, I, I'm always careful to label someone that worked with, you know, in a certain regime as, you know, not having a, a different opinion or set of eyes because you, you never know what those conversations are yeah. like. Some people like to be surrounded by yes men. Yeah. It makes them feel good. It's yeah. their warm and fuzzy security blanket. And some people really like to be challenged. I don't have quite the insight to understand um, what the dynamic was like in, in the in the Flames room uh, when making decisions. But I would be careful to label anyone as, as such. We continue to wait with bated breath for the new GM. As we look at the roster, this is a team that has seven key players that are all headed to UFA after the upcoming year. Three of them are forwards in Backlund, Lindholm, Toffoli, and then you got the four defensemen, Hannafin, Tanev, Zadorov, and Shillington. Of those seven, how many do you think are going to still be members of the Calgary Flames past the NHL draft? Not necessarily names, but more of a number of the seven. Because names will be tough. So you you um, I blacked out as you were reading the names. Did you include Stetcher in there? I did not include Troy Stetcher uh, just because he's currently a UFA. So I was looking right. at the guys who have one more year on their deal. So that would be Zadorov, Shillington, Hannafin, Tanev, and then the three forwards: Backlund, Toffoli, and Lindholm. Um, how many are back? I'm gonna say. Six. Mm. One big like, one? I, I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of change. Sure. I really don't. Because I think on paper, again, everyone thinks that this team just really underachieved last year. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think a, a huge chunk of those guys are going to get extensions. And then the question would be, what do the extensions look like? What do those numbers look like? And everyone be eligible for July 1? And then you kind of go from there. But you think that this change with the coach might have really influenced people enough that a lot of them will be intrigued by a, a long-term extension or an extension at least? Yes. Yeah, I think that was the biggest turning point of the offseason for the Calgary Flames. Hmm. It's interesting because with the Flames currently picking 16th, I do wonder if there would be an opportunity to get back into the first round with another pick or maybe even move up higher if they do end up moving out one of those guys with more year of term. I wonder how much that's going to be on the table for some of these teams as day one of the draft gets closer. I don't have a real good sense that that's going to be the case because I just, you know, when you look at what, again, it, it all comes down to what is the directive from ownership. And I have no sense that this ownership group has any sort of appetite to to rebuild or to take a step back from the competitive cycle that they're they believed they were in at the start of last season that this is essentially i think look every new person that comes in is going to have their own little wrinkle their own thought process 
But I think um, that that's the plan is to just is to go go tackle this again, try and do it and and re-sign the key core pieces that you think are going to be here for the long haul and, and significant contributors. Someone like a Lindholm, for instance. Sports at 960 NHL Insider brought to you by South Trail Chrysler Frank Sarvalli joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, you've been all over this Coyote story, uh, like a dirty shirt, Frank. Um, is this finally it? Uh, or are they still the uh, the Jason Voorhees, the Michael Myers, the zombie? They're just undead, and they're never going away, and they're going to find a way here. Is this maybe the proverbial final nail in the coffin for the Coyotes in Arizona? Or do you think they'll it's, find a way? It should be. I, I don't get the <laughs> sense that it is yet. Uh, obviously their statement yesterday and the confirmation from the deputy commissioner that they will be playing in Arizona next season at mullet arena. I think that's a massive mistake. First off, we know that playing in mullet arena is a true suck on league revenues, but more than that, if they are a sitting duck and, and to now scramble again to find the next place in Mesa in on a on a um, an indigenous reservation, whatever the the thing is that they're trying to do next, maybe go to downtown Phoenix again to play at an arena that's not configured for hockey. I get, I just can't get past the notion that the public is telling you they don't care. Like the people have quite literally spoken. We are not giving you a new arena. We do not care if you're here or not. Even go look at their campaign. All you have to do is, it's, it's hilarious. Go into Google image search and type Tempe wins and you'll see a few of their pickets and, and, and signs that they had posted around Tempe. And if you look at the list, it's like a new home for the Arizona Coyotes is last on the list because they know that that's not going to sway anyone publicly. It was like, hey, let's create... 7,000 jobs and let's have a new uh, entertainment venue and music venue and and let's have hotels and restaurants and a shopping district. And then the very last thing on the list was a permanent home for the Arizona Coyotes. No one cares. Then, wait, let's back it up a step further. Mm -hmm, And let's tell you that this is the second time that people have told you they don't care. The city of Glendale in the last calendar year said, we think we can make more money without your team playing in our building for 45 nights a year. So now that's the second municipality that has told you we don't care. At some point, it's like me at a a high school dance. Are you going to get the message that they don't want you? (laughs) Hey, shooters got to shoot, Frank, especially at a dance. I'm sorry. Like, it's embarrassing. (laughs) You got to shoot, but eventually the rest of the league to think that you're going to continue to pander this market that does not give a flying bleep about your team. Feels like there's been a whole bunch of other cities that have been thrown around lately. Sacramento, Kansas City, Houston. Do any of these pique your interest or stand out in any sort of way? Salt Lake City. Houston is the one that that is the is the turnkey operation. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's an NHL ready arena. It's in a market that is as big as Phoenix, if not bigger. I think it's number four on the list of biggest cities in the U.S. Phoenix is number five. Mm-hmm. It, it, it 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 aligns perfectly in the Central Division, which is where the Coyotes have already been playing. 
because the NHL can push them around and tell them you got to go play in the central. Um, it, it's, I, they, I think they have a prospective ownership group in, in Tillman Fertitta who owns the, the Houston Rockets. Like I, I don't, I, I don't know why there's not being more pressure put on this Arizona ownership group to force them out, sell, and we're relocating the team. And, and you know what? Here's the next step in this process, in this story that hasn't been talked about nearly enough. At some point, when Marty Walsh finds his voice as the new executive director of the NHLPA, the players themselves can have a big say in what happens for next season mm. by sending a strong message that they are not willing to play in Arizona again next year. And then what would come after that? Then it would force a movement. Players force their way out of the team. Like that, Then you open up a whole new Pandora's box as far as what happens there, right? Yeah, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's that change is necessary to do this again after 15 consecutive years. It feels like of the same thing over and over again, scrapping and scratching and clawing to stay there and stay alive. It, it, it's throwing good money after bad. And it has been for a long time. And I understand the NHL's want to prop up the coyotes and mm-hmm. look, Gary Bettman's it, it might as well be his second home. He's made so many trips there over the last 15 years. I think he's spent more time dealing with that franchise than just about any other. But you mentioned the players um, and on the current roster. How would you feel if heading into the, the draft uh, five, uh, six weeks from yesterday and you're one of the two players that's selected at six and 12 overall by the Arizona Coyotes, where are they going to be playing? Who is going to be running the team? Who's going to own the team? Are they even going to have a team? Right. So you're saying Austin who, who Matthews wants to step into that mess. You're saying Austin Matthews is not going to sign with the Coyotes then, Frank? They ain't going to be in Arizona by then. Mm. Woof. Um, I, it, I'm sorry. Like I just I can't. This this boggles my mind. To then the next day after this all goes down, it makes it look like the NHL was caught with their pants down and, yeah. and didn't have a plan. Um, Frank, wanted to ask we you. We can't possibly lose this vote. Right. It's not going to happen. Everyone loves hockey in the desert. Um, yeah. Um, Frank, what an, again, you, you've named all the cities. Um, obviously, Quebec City, to me, it doesn't make too much sense. It'd be far and away the smallest market. There's not enough corporate dollars in Quebec City to, to really sustain an NHL franchise, although they built that big arena that's empty, and the ramparts have a lot of people going to those games. What about a second team in southern Ontario, in Toronto? That's going to be a moneymaker. And it would take 20, 25, 30 years for a lot of those fans to maybe some of those Leaf fans to jump ship to the other Toronto team. But they have it in Los Angeles, right? The Lakers and the Clippers. They have it in Chicago. You know, White Sox and Cubs, Mets and Yankees. Like, there's so many examples of this. Like, why aren't we talking more about a second team in Toronto? Uh, territorial rights and monopolization of the market. Because the Sabres would, I know the Leafs would obviously hate it for obvious reasons, but how much would that affect the Sabres too indirectly? Uh, I think a bit, but putting it at, like, I think the thought process has always been to put a team, another team at Scotiabank Arena, sort of yeah. like a, you know, Staples Center East kind yeah. of thing. But Why just, not? Exactly. Like, I just don't understand, you know, that... Because it'd be you'd be literally printing money. Yeah, more there's, so there's than also, Houston, Salt Lake, Kansas City, whatever you want to do. 
that team's going to bring way more revenue in, in the league than any one of those American teams, no? Well, you know this uh, just having been from that area and, and also, um, you know, the sentiment around the country. There's a huge chunk of people that hate the Leafs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All those people would be flocking to that other team. Yeah. Along with all the people that are tired of rooting for a team that has no success to speak of. If there was ever a time to pounce and take a whole bunch of Leafs fans on your way out, that's definitely uh, Yeah, it was like 10 years ago while they were the proverbial 13-wheel truck off a cliff. Uh, That was the time. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to ask you as well, you had this yesterday uh, on your Twitter, but uh, some candidates for the Ducks head coaching job, and one that maybe will interest Flames fans as well, Andrew Brunette uh, confirmed as one of the names on the list, along with Spencer Carberry and Mike Volucci. Can you tell us about the Ducks coaching search? Yeah, among the 468, as I was saying. 468, Uh, Frank? (laughs) There's so many. Read read the comments. Like, Wow. (laughs) I just like yeah. have have us have just like a slight clue, a slight yeah. sense of humor. Um, <laughs> this is supposed to be fun. We're reporting on hockey, not yeah. cancer. It's true. Um, I, I yeah, I think it's really interesting, like where this Ducks search is going because Pat Verbeek. I think um, one thing that he has going for him is a real eye for talent, and I think he wants to get someone in there that um, hasn't had a crack before. Or if they did, it was a long time ago. Um, and so Spencer Carberry is obviously someone that's in significant demand. Uh, I think he's a better natural fit in Washington. I don't know if they're going to do that or not, but they have history with him because he worked in AHL Hershey. Um, and Brunette is a fascinating candidate because he had the success that he had in Florida winning the President's Trophy last year. And I think everyone kind of thought league-wide that he, he got screwed. Um, in not having a chance to, to stick with that team and, and give it another shot. They bring in their own guy in Paul Maurice, and obviously the success has been, um, you know, it speaks for itself. But Andrew Brunette being in New Jersey this year, the thought process was this is a guy coming to be put in place to eventually take over for Lindy Ruff, if not this season at some point. And you remember when ch- fans were chanting in the first week of the season, fire Lindy. Um, that was the that was the plan uh, was to have a ready made. Here's the next guy, sort of like uh, Kirk Muller always was designed to be to Daryl Sutter, um, and now Lindy Ruff is is likely to get an extension this week. Mm. So where does that leave Andrew Brunette? Clearly, a lot of people feel like he deserves another crack at this, and we'll see if he's. I, I think he's on a number of radars. Uh, around the league, I, I think you could include Calgary uh, once they hire their their general manager. And, you know, I, I'd be real curious about the New York Rangers as well, but I don't know if they'd allow them to cross the river. There you go. NHL insider Frank Saravalli from earlier today on the big show with Rustic and Rose, uh, another NHL insider voice thinking that next week sounds like the ideal time for the Calgary Flames to name a new GM We'll see if that comes to fruition. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, kicking off hour two with a look back at a big win for the Calgary Wranglers last night here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.